Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming out today. And those who stayed home because of the storms or whatever, you're catching it right now, and that's good. I'm glad that you're there. And uh, you just have the, the brave out here, the very brave and courageous with us in person. Well, um, our all-in vision is still happening, uh, and I'm excited to tell you that uh, we've had a number of people sign up for uh, you know, a number of things here, but on uh, one of the uh, all-in options was the Connect, connect Team, follow-up with guests to connect them to the body. And so today, after church there in the gathering place over uh, by the sofas, I have a handout with some instructional and some information on what that looks like. And basically what it is is when there's a, a you know, first-time, second-time guest, what are we doing as a church family just to help them meet people and, get in, and find out about ministries and grow track and other things? And so that takes people to do that. And so uh, it's simple. It's not complicated at all. And so we are moving right along uh, there with um, that availability. So come on out, if even if you didn't sign up, but you want to find out more information about it, uh, just stay after for about 15 minutes there in the gathering place. This David series is just so rich for me. I've already uh, have, you know, a love for David. Um, I've I just have really my whole life since I've been studying the Word since 18 years old. and uh, But this is taking it to a new level. Um, I'm excited about upcoming stories that we still have many to do. We're um, um, not even halfway uh, in our series. We're about halfway, getting close to halfway, I think. But when David danced before the ark, I can't wait to do that. The story, Ziklag, if you... If that rings a bell when uh, he and his soldiers were away and all the wives and children were attacked and kidnapped and what happens next, it's just an incredible story. Uh, I hope we get to this one, David's Mighty Men. There's descriptions of his mightiest warriors and what they were like, how inspiring. Uh, David and Bathsheba is a story that just, you know, has such application to our lives and a lot of lifestyles, what's happening today in our world. There's so many good ones. Next Sunday, again, I believe it's going to be next Sunday. The ordering is, is sometimes tricky. I'm going to be uh, talking about Abigail. Abigail was this incredible woman of courage and beauty and faith and wisdom what a gal, what a lady. So next Sunday, it'll be as really more about Abigail than it'll be about David, but it's, it's just an incredible story, and, uh, and Lord willing, uh, that's what I'll be uh, digging into next Sunday. The other piece that's different for me, and I'm so glad this is happening, is I'm studying. You know, most, most of the historical pieces are in First and Second Samuel, and I hope you're reading, you know, along with us. You know, it, it, we're covering covering like over 10 chapters right now and last week and this week, but is the connection to Psalms. So I'm reading Psalms more uh, diligently and how it relates to him and his, what he's gone through and what he's going through. And it's really 
taken me at a deeper place in appreciation with the book of Psalms. So that's part of what's going to happen today, I hope, that this book of Psalms, which there, that word's really not used in other places much. It's, it's just a song, and it's poetry for music. So whenever you read it, uh, it was being sung uh, there in the Tabernacle of David to uh, a, a tune that he composed, or he said, let's you, you know, use this song and sing these words of that, that composition. And so this is a book of poetry. It's the really one of the most emotional places in the Bible. You'll see the gamut of emotions in the book of Psalms. Be still and know that I'm God, and then shout joyfully before the Lord. Play the cymbal and the, and the drums and sing and dance before him. You've got passion with the love of God, and you've got passion with anger toward sin and evil and, and the enemies of God. You have a heart cry for holiness and for devotion for God and to honor God who's great, who's mighty and majestic. You've got a heart cry in anguish and sorrow and brokenness. And David is so clear and upfront about his emotions, even in these times of sorrow and anguish, People, you'll see them all over the internet. It, was David a person that dealt with depression? And I don't think for me that that's really an important answer to answer definitively, but he did deal with the emotions of depression. And, you know, people use the word depression differently and, and, and so forth. I, I think it's a word that just describes you're really down and you, it's, it's taken a long time to get out of it. It's a concern when you don't seem like you can't get out of it. It's, it's become something that's long-term, and then you, people use the term clinical depression where you need uh, help from medical uh, intervention, and that would be more of a clinical depression-type steps and, uh, to take. And in today's world, mental health and depression is on the rise. And this, to see the stats, how... During the pandemic, the isolation and the, in, the increased fear in people's lives, what it did to the world and young people, uh, and, and, and even the stats, even in Christian schools, my wife teaches Christian school, just the emotional difference and in, in the uh, fragility and the vulnerability of teenagers today since the pandemic just has you know, just increased, skyrocketed in comparison to the past. And it was already a challenge. And unfortunately, many people didn't come out of the pandemic emotionally. They stayed in too much isolationism, and that contributed to it. Or they got into a pattern uh, that was not good for them and unhealthy. And so it's a very common issue. And so today's message, and this is part five of the series, is a phrase out of Psalm 23 we'll look at later, a little bit later more carefully, but he restores my soul. Thank you, Jesus. You've restored my soul. And you've done it a number of times, you know, can't count how many times, sometimes several in a day, where he restores my soul.
I'll tell you a little story about me in a minute, but just some quick things about Psalms, because I did. I, I want to increase your interest in reading in Psalms while we're doing this series, okay? The book of Psalm is in the middle of the Bible, and so when you open it about in the middle, you're going to get close to Psalms. In fact, the middle chapter of the whole Bible is Psalm 103. Everything okay? There's a roof leak. Okay. Probably not a roof leak. Might be an air conditioner leak. Thank you, Hugh. Don't get wet over there. Do you need a raincoat or something? All right. We've got guarantees on all the roofs. We've redone them and redone them. We've got these, you know, 15-plus years guarantees on the roof. So that's... Not too much of a worry. Okay, um, some trivia kind of things about Psalms. 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. That's more than any other book in the Bible. It's 150. Uh, David was the author of, of about half of the Psalms, 73. The sons of Kor did about 11. So there's about 50 Psalms that aren't attributed to a specific author. They're, of course, anointed by the Holy Spirit, but we don't necessarily know who wrote them. The longest chapter in the book of Psalm is Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. It's a great psalm to read because it always refers back to the Word of God and the God's law, His precepts, His principles. In every single verse, 176 times, amazing. What kind of types of psalms are out there? You can. I'm going to give you a list of five, but sometimes people list eight, ten, twenty. It just kind of goes on and on. You can break it down, keep breaking it down. But here's five types of psalms. There's psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of royalty, where he's just exalting the Lord God Almighty, his majesty, his almighty power, his, uh, uh, his greatness in heaven and over earth. There's psalms of wisdom that give instruction. There's psalms of praise, uh, and there's psalms of lament. And lament would be just being honest about the grieving and sorrow and whatever that emotional difficulty that you're going through. And then including in that, I'm throwing in the Psalms of Judgment, where David prays for judgment and punishment on evil and his enemies and God's enemies. Last week, the message has a tie-in, so I want to do a quick review from last week. It was, what will you do with your fear? Because David's experience being chased by King Saul and sometimes 3,000 soldiers to his four to 600 soldiers, what was it like to deal with fear so often? And we saw that David had specific responses completely opposite of Saul's responses, different, but clear responses in his battle with fear. Uh, Number one, he he went to uh, his spiritual covering. That was the prophet Samuel. To apply that today would be one of the elders here or a mentor in your life. Dolores and I do counseling uh, a lot of counseling here, and, and we help build and give you directions uh, with more support. Number two, uh, David went to his uh, best friend, Jonathan, 
and Jonathan gave him an encouragement, support, and insight in all that he could. He, David didn't keep it a secret. He went to those he trusted for encouragement and prayer. Number three, uh, he called out to God for mercy, and at this point, we went in Psalm 57, and uh, uh, written about him being when he was in a cave, and how uh, here he is hiding in a cave, and he's writing a psalm, and he's calling out to God for mercy, and he's then he's telling God how bad things are, and he sets his heart on God with praise, despite this this being in a a chase for his life, and he receives not just knows about it, but he receives the mercy and loyal love of God. These things are real practical and helpful even today's message when we're talking about these deep struggling emotions, even depression, these steps and lessons are valuable. So, one of my stories regarding depression, I was 39, 40 years old. I had been someone that in my personality type was just a kind of an up enthusiastic personality type would never thought that I would be affected by depression. And I found myself getting near age 40, and I'm just going to tell a piece of this story. And I was having a little midlife crisis because I was going to be turning 40 soon. Yeah. And and the, the crux of it was, is I had dreams and I had visions of where I would be in my character, in my strength as a, as a minister, as a leader, as a father. I had a dream of what I would be like when I was 40, and I wasn't even close. And so it's an it's a in-your-face reality like, oh, <laughs> I am way not where I thought God would have me by now. What have I been doing wrong? And it's a, it's a hard look at yourself because, I, this is for me, because I, I wasn't even close. And that took me, you know, a good year and a half to figure out. And when I turned 40, I was fine. I was like excited. I had a bunch of guy friends over who grilled steaks and had, you know, fun stuff happening in the basement. I mean, I had a great 40th birthday party that I kind of planned and make because by that time God worked me through that and gave me a new grace for that age and new visions and new dreams. But the other thing that was happening during this season was the year before our church there we served hadn't given raises for a couple of years. They gave us freedom to get you know part time side jobs. I was working full time in the church. I was doing uh, it was it wasn't a school bus. It was a school van five days a week. And, and that schedule was just intense. The next year, we were beginning our transition to plan a house church ministry, inner city ministry in Philadelphia. You know, our church leadership was, you know, a part of that, et cetera. So I was doing these extra things to get ready for that. It was just an intense schedule. And I was meeting with, with a friend of mine who was a spiritual director. And that's just like another word for spiritual coaching and your and your walk with God, and I was meeting with him, and he gave me a little 10-question general quiz, kind of an emotional, mental quiz, and, and I failed it, and I had crossed the line in depression on this scale. I'm like, this, I don't, I'm worried, I don't really 
believe this. I've never dealt with this. Well, just a number of days later, I did a recording of me talking about this transition to Philadelphia next year, and we're going to be planning this ministry. And um, so I, you know, it was five minutes or something, four or five minutes, and I, I, I sit down to watch it. I'm like, who is that? Look at his countenance. It's dead. Look at his eyes. That's not Stephen Riley. What's wrong? He really must be depressed. And I just subtly, over those last couple of years, had kind of stepped into that and didn't even know it. I just said, throw that away. We're not using that recording. Step, kept meeting with my spiritual covering, had shared this with a couple friends, my pastor, didn't keep it a secret. See, things we keep in secret often we're trying to hide in darkness. God wants to bring it to light. And when we trust our spiritual covering and our godly friends in prayer, then God puts light on it. We bring it to light, and God puts light on it. That was a key for me at that time. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell a little bit of the story later. Let me stop. I don't want to stay in, in there because I need to get in the message here. So David was in a season... After he killed Goliath and Saul became jealous of him, revengeful, hated him, pursuing him, this was a season of turmoil that lasted a good 10, maybe 15 years. This, this was not, he, he was, so I, I say this to say, as we start looking at some of these passages in Samuel, that he really had challenges before him emotionally. So I want to tell you a story that's just shocking. It's just even confusing. It's out of 1 Samuel 21. And what's happened is, is uh, this is early on in this trying to hide from Saul. He doesn't have his army yet. He might have a few men with him. And He's just finished talking to Jonathan, and Jonathan's given no hope that, no, my dad does want to kill you. He absolutely does. Jonathan prays for him, blesses him, said, you will be king someday. And David goes to Gath. Folks, Gath is a Philistine city. Goliath was from Gath. He's so scared and confused, he goes to the city of the champion military leader that he killed maybe a year or two before that. And he goes to the king of Gath, Ashkis, and he, he's, he's wanting to ask, say, can I hide here and just kind of live here incognito? And, and he, and the people start, is that really David? The one that's, going to be king of Israel, the one that the people saying Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands? And so this crowd is getting, you know, kind of angrier and angrier, telling the king, what are you letting him in our... And let's just read what he does. What happens next? Psalm 21, you want to keep your Bibles open there, uh, starting at verse 12. 
Now, David took these words to heart of this crowd, the building of the crowd, and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands, scratched the doors of the gate and let his saliva, say it for me, saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to the servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a mad of mad men that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so he kicks him out. I'm just thinking, what was that like? David acted like a drooling, insane, out of control man, scratching the gate and how long did he have to do that? Was it 15 minutes? Was it an hour, two hours before this king says, get this weirdo out of my, you know, sight and kicks him out? I mean, David stayed in, he must have taken some drama classes or something in high school. I mean, how did he pull that off? Well, he, he was a desperate man. He was confused. This is stranger than fiction. He was in the enemy territory trying to find safety there. Let's read. There's actually a couple of Psalms that refer to the instance. There's 14 of of these Psalms of David that gives a description where he was or what he did. And here it is. The title to Psalm 34 is a Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, which would be Achish, who drove him away and he departed. Listen how good and uplifting this psalm starts. I bless the Lord, verse 1, at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And so though this was a total confusing situation, he has survived. He's still alive, and he's giving thanks to God. Look what he describes this, how he describes his emotional situation in verse 8 and 9. You number my wanderings. This is Psalm 56. Whoops, let's see, am I in the right place? No, 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 no. I skipped a page or something. Here we go. Psalm 34, verse 18 and 19. Sorry, I turned a page over. Verse 18 of Psalm 34. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So he's saying, I had a broken heart, and yet I was contrite. I was humble and repentant before God. I was looking to God, and, and then he goes into this verse, many are the reflections of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This reminds me of Jesus' really parallel statement here in John sixteen thirty three. I'll just read it to you real quick. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's going to be leaving them soon to go hang on the cross. And he says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I wish when you shared someone the gospel and prayed within the prayer of salvation, you could say you're going to have less tribulations and afflictions, and they're just going to fade away over. As you get closer to God, they're just going to fade away. But that doesn't happen, does it? Now, you're not dealing with tribulations and afflictions by yourself. You've got the body of Christ. You've got God. You've got someone who restores your soul. Before, without Christ, you don't. And without Christ, you're not causing many more of the afflictions. You're, you're living a, a, a more godly life of wisdom, so the afflictions are less, hopefully, in the sense of the ones you cause. I want to go further in this psalm, Psalm 34, 22, because there's a new, uh, for us, Hebrew word I'm going to show you. We've done hesed, which is God's loving kindness, his mercy, loyal love. We've looked at that. Here's a new one. Psalm 34, 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. The word soul is a common word in the Old Testament used 700 or so times. It's a Hebrew word, nephesh. It's a living, breathing, physical being, your soul. So in the Hebrew mind, they don't divide you all up and say your mind and then your, your soul and then your body and your heart, and you divide up more of a Greek mind. There's overlap in these descriptions of who we are in our inner, inner being. And so the soul is, gives life to the physical body. It's part of what makes the physical body what it is. And it's living and breathing. And if the word throat is connected to it. Because if you're dying of thirst or of hunger, your throat needs water. If you're going to live and have life, your throat needs water. It needs food. And so the word throat is connected to it as well. So we're going to see this, how important this word soul is. And he redeems it. This is a great word. It means being delivered from evil and harm. He ransoms us. He frees us from bondage. He buys us back as as a redeeming um, illustration. He buys us back. We belong back to him. He redeems the soul of his servants. There's another Psalm 56 that also talks about this experience. I want to go there. Verse 8 and 9, you number my wanderings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is with me. This expression, put my tears into your bottle, is an actual expression that in ancient times there was a practice known of having little bottles to capture people's tears. And the concept was we're remembering your sorrows and tears. So that's what David is referring to, is that God has remembered my sorrows and my tears, and he captures them in a bottle. This reminds me of Jesus 
in who he is. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4 says it, that, that whole chapter is describing the suffering servant, the servant who went through all human suffering. Listen to these verses, verse 3 of Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. See, this phrase, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So that is consoling and comforting to somebody who's going through it. That Jesus isn't so far away on his throne because he's resurrected. Now he's just so far away that he can't, you know, relate to me. He's, I've got to pick myself up. I've got to get myself to him. I've got to get my... No, listen. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's a great phrase to repeat to yourself or to someone else. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, we know he carries and bore our sins. Do you know that he carries our griefs and our sorrows as well? That on the cross, it was God's plan to that his sacrifice on the cross would pave that way all the way for our salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a feel for this season of David's life by looking at a map, and you're not going to be able to see the details of this map, but I I still want to kind of refer to it. Because some of you, and, and I've, every time I've gone to Israel, I just learn the geography of the land that much better. And, and get a feel how the geography affects the stories in the Bible. But let's look at this map. And you're just looking at the lower half of Israel right now. So you see that body of water, that long skinny thing, that's the, that's the Dead Sea, excuse me, the Dead Sea. There's the river, the Jordan River that's going up, and that's the border generally of, you know, of, of Israel. Uh, the eastern border. And that river goes up in the normal maps when you see the whole nation of Israel, you see the Sea of Galilee up above here. And what happens is when you come down closer to the Dead Sea is when things change to, to desert. And so the purple you see here is King Saul's reign, okay? That's what he controlled. The Mediterranean Sea over here uh, to, to the left side as you look at the map, that's where uh, the Philistines and other, um, uh, you know, peoples had control of those areas during Saul's reign. That's where Gath is in there. Um, and so you see these green lines, and this scripture said, you know my wanderings. One of the studies I looked at, there were 16 different times that over that 10-year or so period that David was getting up and moving you know, to a whole nother location. Now, he was probably moving sometimes in different caves and things more often than that, but 16 times over a 10-year period, he is just moving 600 people to different places uh, to hide from Saul. And this one way over to the right is soon after, uh, uh, you know, when, when David is Saul's enemy, so is his whole family. 
So his family and his parents and his brothers all came to him. He's like, you know, he's coming after us too. And so he took his mom and dad over to Moab, way over to the other side of of the Dead Sea, and left them there because, you know, I mean, this is intense, you know, movement and strategy and battle. He left his, his sweet old parents over there in Moab, and then and he's going back and forth. All that is desert, that lower purple area, and, and down south is just desert. And then uh, and, and he's, let's go to some pictures to let you see what we saw in our last trip. This is in Getty, and Getty is right on basically the the Sea of Galilee. There's a spring there, and see, you see these trees, and there's some spare grass here and there. This is where they would take the shepherds would take their sheep, uh, the, their flocks out there, because they couldn't keep them in the farmland because they'll eat up all the, the the agriculture. So they take them out to these desert areas and have to find springs and valleys and places. And this is where one place where we went up to see a spring at Engedi. Let's go to the next one there. And in the cliffs, there were holes and caves like all over the place. So you could really imagine how there was this, you know, who knew the land the best would have the advantage. And David as a shepherd boy knew the land, and but he's living in this constant, no place to rest his head for over 10 years. Look at, look at the next one. This is uh, one of the springs there. Father and his couple little boys are, are swimming there, having a good time in the, in the midst of this desert. Look at this other picture here. Is one not my own. I pulled that off the internet. That's of Masada. And one of the places you'll read in Samuel when he talks about David going to here and there, that he went to the stronghold several times. And it's in this area. It may not have been this exact mountain where Masada, a fortress that was built by Herod in the times of Jesus. And then later, there's a famous story of the Jewish revolt there uh, against the Romans. But, um, um, you know, there was, a, there was a stronghold that David went to in that area, and it could have been that particular mountain right there because it was an amazing, you know, place of, of protection. So I say all that to you that David was learning how to defeat fear, how to seek God in a, over a 10-year period of turmoil. It was turmoil all around him, chaos all around him. And his emotions went up and down as well. And I, I want to relieve you to say, you know, our hero David had all kinds of emotions. Don't condemn yourself if you're embarrassed about what you're dealing with, with emotions. And yet learn from David and how he, uh, even in confusion times, kept seeking the Lord Here's another story that uh, we're going to get some lessons out of another psalm here. It's in 1 Samuel 26. This is right after that second encounter in a cave where Saul's army was sleeping in a cave. David and one of his young soldiers went into the cave. God kept them supernaturally asleep. And there by Saul's head, just like uh, some good Kentucky boys might sleep with their pistol next to their bed. He had a spear stuck in the ground and a water jug. The young soldier said, let me 
stab him right now. Let's just, I can completely end it in a moment. Let me just, let me take your enemy. God has delivered him into your hands. He said, yes, I know God has delivered in my hands, but I'm not going to touch God's anointed. And they stole the, the spear and the jug, went outside, and then he woke them up shouting to them and say, look at the spear. Saul, look, Abner, you were protecting him. What kind of protection is that? You're not even a man. You couldn't protect your king. And they go in this dialogue, and Saul, he repents. And he says, please bless my descendants because you are going to be king. You're going to be blessed and have mercy on me. And, and David gives the spear to a young man to run, run it back. He didn't, he didn't keep it. He honored the king and his spear, gave it back to him. It's probably the one thrown at him several times. And look at the next sentence. Folks, look at the next sentence. Here we are. First Samuel starts a new chapter, 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Folks, this is confusing to me. He got the response he was looking for. The Samuel prophet, the Samuel, uh, uh, Samuel the prophet prophesied that David would be king. Jonathan said, you'll be king. My dad will not be successful in, in killing you. Saul admitted he was wrong, and he said, uh, you will reign someday. And yet in the next sentence, David said, I am going to die at the hand of Saul. And so what does he do? He takes 600 men, and he goes to Gath then. Now, this is seven or eight years later or so. It's, it's, you know, we don't have details of time frame. So it's, it's a number of years later. He goes to Gath again. Achish is still the king. And somehow he, he gets favor and allows him to stay among them. And sure enough, in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 27, it says, And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. And so he was right. Saul wouldn't, didn't truly repent. He gave the right words in the moment, but didn't follow through. He wasn't truly sincere and set free himself. And then we find this history of David that's it's, it's, it's shameful in many ways. I, I, it, he stays in Gath for a little while and says, give me a city that I won't kind of bother you in your capital here so I can just take my men. And he gives them Ziklag. And from Ziklag, this little city, he goes and raids the south of the border nations on the south, just raiding them. And he would come back and he would lie to uh, Achish at Gath and say, Look at all the spoils from our battles. It was from the tribes of, you know, the, the towns around Judah. And, and he would just make up places where he went. And he, so Achish thought that he was going and battling and defeating Jews and Hebrews. But he wasn't. And 
And so there is, do you realize what city he's in? This is a people that defy the God of Israel. This is the people who worship pagan gods that spit on the God of Israel. And he's compromising, living among them, serving and blessing this king. I don't have an answer for this. It's just confusing. There's no clear time where it says that he inquired of the Lord to do these things. Yet I'm not finding a direct discipline and correction from the Lord that he was doing wrong. If you guys know the story of David well, you'll tie into this and go, this just raiding peoples in the south, was this part of that when David later in life, as when he'd been king a long time, wanted to build God a temple? And one of the reasons he said, no, you're not going to build me a temple is because you have had so much bloodshed. Was this an example of that? That in, it didn't come across as punishment, but he didn't get to do what his heart's desire was. He had to wait and let his son do that. Let's go to Psalm 69. Our, and in this psalm, and I have a couple other scriptures tie in, we'll close out some lessons here for us. Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. My throat is dry. My life is 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 dying. I, my throat, I need water. I'm dying. He's so weary from crying that his eyes are failing. He's waiting on God, but he's not seeing any response. Talking to our tour guide in Israel, looking at the Mediterranean Sea, the sea was a fearful place. There was monsters in the sea. It was not something that... that you would really look at in a pleasurable, like, let's go swimming uh, for the day and go out in the deep. No, the deep was a place of fear for ancient peoples. And that's what you sense in these first few verses, that what he felt like was he was sinking and he was not going to be able to escape these deep waters. When you feel trapped and when you feel sinking and hopeless and despair, David understood he experienced these things. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Let me tell you a little bit more about my story there. You know, depression can come from different angles, you know, many different sources. Uh, for, For me, there was that um, that midlife crisis thing that I was emotionally dealing with, and, and God walked me through that. I was in a second year kind of of, of overwork and exhaustion. So it can come out of burnout, right? You can Burnout can be the start of a depression. It leads into depression of overwork. Another one would be uh, just loss of a loved one. 
and all of us have a God-given ways to grieve and have sorrow and and blessed are those who mourn. God wants us to mourn and express our sorrow because he then can find ways to comfort us and restore our soul. But it, there are people, and it can happen pretty easily, where that, that, that sorrow doesn't start, their soul doesn't start getting restored over a number of months or years, and, and it can get into clinical depression from the loss of a love. It could be loss of a job because it hit their identity. If a person's identity was wrapped up, it wasn't just they lost pay, but they lost their value. And there's losses that if that mourning process doesn't go to fruition and start, then it can last. It can be something, uh, traumatic things from childhood or in our past that we, we just, our, our soul doesn't know how to deal with it. It was so traumatic, and we haven't been able to give that to the Lord and let the Lord heal that. So it can come from a number of different places. And for me, following some of those principles from last Sunday were valuable for me. And... And, and so I want to I get it back into that. Let's read Psalm 69, 16 through 20. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to uh, the multitude of your tender mercies. There's that loving kindness. He's speaking this, this loyal love is good to me. It's real. Verse 17, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw me near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. Here's that word soul again in verse 18. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. My inner life needs redeeming, rescuing. Draw near to me. I have found in my own life, and I've heard and other people share, that, for example, there can be a mourning season of season of great loss, but find Jesus there with you. And there can be an intimacy with Jesus Christ that's unique and different than intimacy we have in worship, intimacy we have in uh, a good time of high praise to the Lord, an intimacy uh, in his word, in a devotion, and we, we experience these types of intimacies. And there's a grace in suffering. There's a grace in sorrow where Jesus can be found close. And it's like, well, my, I'm still in the middle of this suffering or sorrow, but I don't feel him far. I sense him close. He's drawn near to my soul. And he's delivered me from this evil so it gives you hope that even though I'm still in the midst of it and this turmoil and chaos is around me I have hope because my soul has been redeemed it's been restored God understands verse 16 you know my reproach my shame my dishonor my adversaries are all before you reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. That's why in times of sorrow and brokenness, the nearness of God to our soul is so important. 
and we go and reflect a year later or years later and go, you know, that was awful what I went through, but you know what? I experienced Jesus in a different way. And I, I don't want to go through it again, but I, I'm grateful. My heart is grateful that I experienced that because if I hadn't, I would have missed a depth in a dimension of the intimacy of Christ. So we lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania at the time. On the, our house was like a row of five houses on the back side of a neighborhood, and we were on a hillside. Our, our driveway was just completely uphill. Our backyard was a, was a total back, you know, our front yard was like a bank. It was on a hill. And it overlooked a valley. And I counted like 15 silos, groups of silos of farms that we could see off our front porch. These are small farms. They're average around, you know, 7,500 acre farms. They're not big. And that was one of the first things that I discovered I was missing out on restoring my soul. Listen to this in Psalm 23, verse 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, they'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even if it gets that bad, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in a sense, he helped me revisit appreciating the roses, smelling the roses. What was I doing? I was getting... uh, pressured in by the extra work and by the extra, this new vision we had and the extra responsibilities. And I was letting things come in on me and I didn't even know it. And it pressured me in and I wasn't seeing the beauty of my front view and let it like he's, he's makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me and let this, he restores my soul. Like I said, I threw that recording away and three months later, I, I said to my friend, let's, let's do it again. I want to I try it again. I could see a difference in my eyes, in my expression, my countenance. God used that steps with the spiritual director, friends praying with me for me, going and letting the Lord restore my soul. See, in Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's the the Hebrew word, a living being, a living soul. And so sometimes we need to be like my friends in, in Philadelphia. We had a neighborhood near our neighborhood where we lived in the metro area of Philadelphia that uh, uh, a black brother of mine, we were friends in, in business, and we said, let's, let's go prayer walking over into this neighborhood, and we did, and it was near our house, and we met a, uh, an older lady who was like the matriarch of the neighborhood, and it was a, had a low-income project apartment housing in the back of this neighborhood in a, a drug corner by those apartments, and she said, oh, you've got to meet my sister. She's a prayer warrior. We met these two sisters, and I learned 
prayer in a new way. Because every time that Vicki, who dealt with health issues, would begin our prayer times together, and she would say, Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that I had breath this morning. And you think, you know, well, that's really neat. She said that like every time she started her praying. She said this over and over again. But she would say it, and she would say it like, she, thank you, Lord. And she had health issues so, for breath this morning. Thank you, Lord, that my feet hit the ground this morning. And the people in the circle in the room would say, yes, yes, amen, amen. Just giving thanks to God for breath got them fired up. He breathed life into us. He's the one that gives us the life in our soul. Psalm 103, 13 through 14. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So I want to say to you that God understands that we are dust, that we go through confusing times, that we have these up and downs of emotions, that we can have the whole gamut of the emotion. God Jesus himself is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You are not alone. And God's spirit is with you in intimacy in times of turmoil and sorrow. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. I have some take home I want to go over, though. I'm not quite done yet, but go ahead and come on up. There is no shame in getting counsel. That's why God places elders in the body of Christ. And so I really encourage you to go to Fred, Philip, or myself if you're dealing with fears or a depression that's lasting longer. Come to us. Dolores and I, we often meet uh, together with people and really help them. Uh, find uh, the next steps of what God has for them because it is God's will for him to redeem our soul. So I want to give you a couple of other uh, resources for counseling as well. And if you aren't aware of this, but Martin Mallory, his website is amountofcounseling.com. He's available on Wednesdays here at the Annex House. Todd Claypool has an office in Shelbyville, downtown Shelbyville. And these are great uh, ministries available. So just a few take home, and we're going to just, um, you know, let the Lord minister to us by Spirit here in just a moment with uh, a last worship song. But God understands you and your emotions. Don't be ashamed of them and pretend like you can hide them and that's going to do you any good. There's a path to restore your soul and it includes Jesus Christ. And if you're here or if you're online and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Him, this is the first step 
of your soul being restored, being redeemed and revived again. I know you've tried many different ways to do it yourself, and there are practical things that help out to, to do in life. But in the end, the bottom line is the depths of your heart long for that loyal love through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to give your heart to Christ. Turn from your ways and your selfish ways and sins and turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to come into your heart. Repent and say to him, I believe you're real. Your resurrection is real. But I'm going to ask the tech team to turn down the lights. I want to have a a closing prayer moment as we go into this next worship song. Can we start with gratitude for our breath today? Can we not take that for granted? Can we stir in our hearts a heart of thanksgiving to God? Because we have breath today. Lord, the life you breathed into Adam creating him in your image your breath of life gave that body a soul a living soul in a, in a live inner being Lord thank you that you've given us breath today you've breathed into us like you breathed into Adam you breathed into us your life so thankful for breath the health that we have we're so grateful the shelter over our head we're so grateful the food we ate last night this morning today we're so grateful your loving kindness is real we say thank you for your loving kindness We receive it. We say, yes, we believe it. Your loyal love over us. We start with gratitude and thanksgiving. And ask you, Lord, to restore our souls. Let us see and smell the roses. Let us see the beauty around us. Spirit 
know that God gives us your peace, your calm, your sound mind. We're so grateful. I want to end with a different kind of blessing today. I love the ironic blessing. I want to change Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, into a blessing from our hearts here together as a spiritual family. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of of His benefits. Who forgives our iniquities and heals all our diseases. Who redeems our lives from destruction. Redeems our soul from despair. Who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Lord, living waters, we are crowned with your Hesed love, your loyal love. It's sitting on our heads. Your tender mercies, we're crowned with it, Lord. It leads us, it controls us from our mind on down. You satisfy our mouths with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah. You renew our souls. We have energy like the eagles. We go into this week, Lord God, with redeemed souls that draw near to you, Lord God. free to continue to worship, feel free to fellowship in the gathering place. There's people here to pray with you. I'll be going to the gathering place to meet with those interested in more information about the content I connect to. Love you guys. God 